of our lives to speak to us through his Holy Spirit in a way that we can understand. Lord Jesus, would you work through the things that are going to happen here tonight in our hearts to change us, to teach us about you, and we want to meet you tonight in a deeper way than we ever have before. And so, Lord, would you, would you just show us more about yourself? Would you, sh- would you show us your love, and would you teach us how to love you more? Thank you for my friends here. Would you give them strength to focus on you? And would you open our hearts and change our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me tell you where we're at. Matt's got Bibles. He can hand those out. We're in the book of Acts. If you guys remember what the book of Acts is all about, the book of Acts is called Acts because of what the Holy Spirit did. The Holy Spirit of God did through the people who were following him in the years following the time when Jesus died and was resurrected and was and ascended into heaven. And so we've been we've been talking all about the 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 growth of God's people, this community people, community people that wasn't a whole lot bigger than what's happening here. And on the 50th day after Jesus had had been killed and resurrected, the Holy Spirit was poured out on that community. And what had been a group of about 120 people in one day, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out in one day, that little community exploded into a group of about 3,000 people. And what did the devil do? The devil fought back. The devil attacked. And what happened then was the people prayed. Pow- more power came from God. The Holy Spirit poured out his power on people. And the church just kept on exploding and exploding and growing and growing and growing. And then what we talked about several weeks ago was the first martyr, a guy named Stephen. You guys remember that? A guy named Stephen was put to death. And then a guy named Saul. He went after the Christians, trying to kill as many as he could, trying to disrupt what God was doing in this community of people. And the Christians, if you guys remember, they just scattered. They went all over the place, which seemed like a bad thing, but God used to spread this great message of Jesus' kingdom to people all over the place who wouldn't have heard that message had it not been for the persecution that the church was facing. And so here we are in chapter 9. This is where we're picking it up in chapter 9. And we're, we're going to do some things differently here in a little bit. But as, as we're going in chapter 9, I just want you to think about, as I'm, as I'm thinking about what we're going to do here on Thursday night each week, I'm asking the Lord, we don't want to just talk about stories that happened a long time ago. It's great to know those stories. But I, I'm always asking the Lord, what can I do to take these things that you've recorded in the Bible and, and apply them to our lives in a way that college students at UTA right now will live their lives differently because of it. So I'm hoping that the things that you guys hear about tonight from me and other people who are going to speak affect your lives in a way that will powerfully change your life. What we're talking about tonight in Acts 9 is the incredible power of an encounter with Jesus to change rotten people like me and like you and like Saul. That's what we're reading about. So, what we're talking about is Saul's conversion and how his life was turned around in, a, in one day. It started in one day. And as we do this, so you got these little orange sheets on your chairs when you guys came in. And here's, well, here's what we're going to really try to do. I want you to think about how the sequence in Paul's life parallels your own story. You have a story. If you know Jesus, you have a story of who you used to be, of how you encountered him, of what he did in your life, how you got connected. And so I'm going to ask you guys to write some things down as we go along. So if you don't have a pen, do we have extra pens? Okay. Yemi-chan has pens. If you need a, if you need a pen, raise your hand. Okay. Annika's, Annika needs a pen back there. Hey, guys, and this is the deal. We're not collecting these. It's not like this is homework where you got to fill this out. But I'm asking you guys to do this because I want you to thoughtfully think about how Jesus has worked in your life. And I think this will help you in, in sharing, with, sharing with other people what he's done. So, first thing that I want you guys to know about Saul's story that parallels your own story is that Saul was a bad man with a bad heart. 
Okay, let's look at chapter, uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. He has no order Damascus is, right? He's in Jerusalem, as we're reading here. Damascus is over the mountain in Syria, okay? So he's planning to go to Damascus in Assyria so that if he found anyone there who belonged to the way, that is the way of Jesus, this wonderful kingdom that Jesus was building, if he found anybody who, be, who was like one of us, who belonged to Jesus, whether they were men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Okay, I want you to think about what Saul's problem is. What is this guy's problem? What is the deal? I mean, why is he so worked up? Why is he so fixated on trying to get Christians to be like him? And as I thought about it, I thought, what, what, is the, what is going on in his heart? And I thought, you know, really, he's not a whole lot different than I've been at times. Or maybe that you've been at times where we've got something that's so important to us that even though we might not have murdered anybody like he's trying to do, that we've breathed out, and like it says here, breathed out murderous threats against those who stood in our way. You guys know what that's called? You know, I think the, the psychological or psychi psychiatric term for that is OCD, right? I was like, you got something in your mind. And it's like, I'm going to get my way, and I don't care who's in my way. I'm going to make it happen. And I thought, you know what? Maybe we're, without Jesus' work in our life, maybe we're all a little bit like that. We got, we got an, an idea of the way the world is supposed to be, and we're going to do anything to make it be that way. So here's, here's what I want you guys to think about. On your paper, I'm asking you to think about who you were like or what you were like before Jesus changed you. Think about this. Most of you are thinking, well, I wasn't all that bad. I wasn't that bad. And if you think that you were not all that bad without Jesus, then I've got bad news for you. You probably still are. Because if you notice, the best people in the world, the people, the people who you would call the most righteous in the world, the most godly people, all of them, if you ask them about how, why they're so good or how good they are, they all are the first ones to admit that, they're, that they, without Jesus they wouldn't be good. And the people who insist that they're not bad, I'm not bad, I'm good. Those are the people who everybody knows are rotten people to the core. So if, you're, if your thought about yourself is, I'm not bad, I never was then my guess is you probably haven't met Jesus. Because the, the, the distinguishing mark of a person who has come face to face with pure holiness is the understanding that I'm no good. You guys remember when Isaiah met the Lord in Isaiah 6? And he sees the Lord at a level that he'd never seen before. And his response is, woe is me. I am no good. Okay, so as you, as you think about who you are, would you guys just take about 30 seconds and write down on your paper there, what were you like before Jesus, before you met Jesus? Okay, let me just tell you what we're doing here. I'm asking you guys to write this down. I want to talk about a lot of people's stories tonight. We're going to talk about the story of this guy, Saul, who later was known as Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament. We're going to talk about his story. We're going to talk about some other stories. And I'm going to ask some of you guys to share your stories, too, as you write the answer to these questions down. You don't have to come up and answer them one, one answer at a time. But I just want you to think about, in about two or three minutes, could you share your story of what Jesus did with you and how he turned you from being a person who was selfish and self-focused to a person who now loves him and loves other people because of your encounter with him. Okay, so Saul was a rotten guy. Second thing I want, want you guys to think about is that, that, that Saul's rottenness was not the end of the story because Jesus doesn't give up on bad people. Jesus didn't give up on Saul. Instead, in the middle of Saul's selfishness, in the middle of his rottenness, he has an encounter with Jesus. He's got a, he has an encounter with Jesus. Let's read about that in verse 3. 
as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The voice replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. Okay, here's what I want you guys to think about. Every one of you who belongs to Jesus has had an encounter with Jesus of some sort. In the middle of your selfish ranting, in the middle of your OCD or whatever else your problem was, Jesus stood in your way. He approached you. He stopped you in the middle of your selfishness, and he invited you to be a part of his family. He invited you. He gave you an invitation that changed your life. I want you guys to think about that time. Where were you at that time? Some of you might be able to remember exactly where you were. It was like, man, it was, it was the third time I came to the cornerstone, and, I, and the Lord spoke to me, and I remember. Some of you, it was a process. Some of you know a period of time where God was working in your heart, where he was wooing you, drawing you, inviting you, and it wasn't just one time experience where you realized that he was speaking to you, but it was over a period of time. That's okay. But if you are a person who belongs to Jesus today, then you've had an encounter with him of some sort. And I want to invite you to remember that. So here on your piece of paper, would you just write a sentence or two about how Jesus, how did Jesus show himself to you? What was that like? Do you guys remember that experience? Okay. And I want you guys to see how Saul responds. Saul responds, even though he doesn't have a clue to what's going on, he doesn't understand what's happening, he responds with obedience and repentance. Look at verse 7. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So in other words, they hear the sound, they hear this voice speaking. But they don't, they don't know where the voice is coming from, they don't know what's going on. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus, and for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay, what I want you guys to see here is that Saul obeys Jesus. He doesn't know anything, hardly anything about Jesus except that he's been fighting Jesus. But he obeys Jesus. What did Jesus tell him to do? From verse 6, what did Jesus tell him to do? Get up and go in the city, and I'll tell you what to do next. And he's, and Saul obeys. Because this is what I want you guys to see. Saul, he doesn't know what's going on. He doesn't know what's coming. But he obeys the word of the Lord to him. And he gets up, and he goes in the city. He's freaked out. He can't see. But he's got three days where he sits and thinks and thinks and thinks about what he's been doing, thinks about the direction he's been going. And I'm sure he's praying. And he's trying to figure out what's next. Here's what I want you guys to think about that. Every one of you who belongs to Jesus, when you encountered Jesus, Jesus met you and he didn't just say, be saved, have a nice life, goodbye. He gave you a direction to do something. He told you to do something. And I want, you, I want to ask you, what was that that he told you to do? What was his instruction to you? What was his voice to you? Some of you guys remember that exactly. It's like, I know exactly what Jesus was telling me when he saved me. Some of you are like, well, I didn't get, I don't, know what it, I don't know how to phrase it word for word, but I know he was speaking to me. Okay, I just want you to write that down. Think about it. Okay, in verse 10, I want, you, I want to see what happens next. In Damascus... Over in Syria, this is on the other side of the mountains from Israel. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Praise God for Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision and said, Ananias. 
Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas. Now, I wonder who this guy Judas was. Might have been Jesus' half-brother, but we don't know, know for sure. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. And by the way, there still is a Straight Street in the city of Damascus. What's left of Damascus after the craziness that's happened there recently. But there is still a straight, the, the exact street where Paul was going, where Ananias was going. Go to Straight Street, the Lord says to Ananias. Go there and, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. Now, where's Tarsus? That's up in Turkey, okay? That's where Saul's from. Because he is praying. What was Saul doing, doing, doing during this time? He's praying. He's praying. I mean, his life, his world has been rocked. In a vision, he has seen a man. This is the Lord speaking to Ananias. He's saying, in, in a vision, Saul has seen a guy named Ananias. That's you, buddy. Come to his place and put his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13, Lord Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call in your name. And think about what's going on in Ananias' mind. He's heard about this guy. This guy, they know that this guy's come to, to Damascus to arrest them. And now he has this vision from Jesus who says, look, I want you to do something that you think is going to be crazy. You go to that guy who came here to take you to jail. And I'm going to speak to, you, to him through you. This is what he says. But the Lord said to Ananias, verse 15, go. This man, guys, listen to this. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. After all the suffering that Saul had inflicted on other people, now Saul's going to realize that he, it's going to be his turn. And he's going to get inflicted punishment upon him because he has met Jesus. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, this guy who was had been an enemy to the Christians, he puts his hand on Saul and he says, Brother Saul. Listen, he calls him brother. Is that cool or what? And does that not speak the forgiving heart? And think about if somebody was trying to kill you, what it would take for you to call them brother? Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has appeared to you, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here. He has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Okay, there's some other things I want you guys to see out of what we just read. First of all, what I want you to see is that Paul, Saul, who's later called Paul, he gets a kick from, from the very start, from day one, or maybe day three, right? Because he's already been praying for a couple days. But from this very start, he gets a connection with the body of Christ, with Jesus' people, this community of Jesus. And here's... The deal, the success of Paul's future. Think of all the things that Paul's going to do before he gets his head cut off in Rome. All that success of proclaiming the gospel is dependent on his connection to the people of Jesus, to the community of Jesus. If, his, if the connection to the community of Jesus isn't there, he's not going to be able to do what God's calling him to do. So he, in this very beginning, of his walk with Jesus, there is a connection made. And Paul takes that. And later, when he's writing these letters, places like Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4, when he's talking about the body of Christ and that we're all one body and we're all different and we all look different and we all act different and we all have different gifts, but we need each other is central in Paul's message. And you know what? That starts from the very beginning because here Paul is not able to see He's hurting. He hasn't eaten for three days. He doesn't know what's happening. And Jesus sends a person to him, to Saul, to Paul, to heal him. Now, couldn't Jesus have gone directly? Jesus went directly to Ananias, right? Why didn't Jesus just show up there and talk to him some more? Because Jesus is teaching Paul that his success depends on his connection with the people. Guys, I just want you to understand this. What God's calling you to do isn't going to happen 
if you think you can do it without these people, the people in this room. I mean, it doesn't work. Just ask. Just remember the times that it didn't work in your life. It was because you were disconnected from Jesus' Jesus's body. And don't believe the lie that, well, I can be connected with his spirit and not his body. That doesn't work. Okay? So I, I want you to think about your story. As you think about your story, do you remember who was like Ananias to you? You had an encounter with Jesus. You had an encounter with him, and then somebody was the hands and feet of Jesus to connect you. So just take a couple seconds, and would you answer that question number four? Who reached out to you, and what was it like? How did that happen? Okay, there's something else in these verses that we just read. That healing from the past life came through the prayers of Jesus' people. So not only does he get connected with the people of God, and his success depends on his connection with them, but the healing in his life, the physical healing of his eyes, and probably the emotional healing of all the trauma that he'd inflicted on other people and all that he'd gone through comes through Ananias coming and putting his hands on him and praying for him and forgiving him, speaking forgiveness over Saul. So when you came to Jesus, the method, think, listen you guys, the method that he used, that the Holy Spirit used to heal you was through the body of Christ, the people of God. And maybe if you're like, well, I don't know, I've still got a lot of healing that needs to happen. You know how it's going to happen? It's going to happen through the community of Jesus' people. So on your paper, would you just write about that? What was that like? What, in what ways were you healed and helped through the community of Jesus? And the other thing that we saw there in those verses that we just read is that he gets up and he was baptized. Guys, it's a big deal. I want you to notice that, that when Saul surrendered to Jesus, he gets up and he's baptized. Why was he baptized? Because Jesus says so. This is part of Jesus' command. He's like, okay, I put my trust in Jesus, and I'm going to do the thing that Jesus has called me to do, and that is to proclaim the truth that he is my Savior by being baptized. If you have had a genuine encounter with Jesus, then you are either planning to be baptized next week, or you have been baptized. If you say, I've had an encounter with Jesus and I'm a Christian, but I don't care about being baptized, then I want to just, I want to tell you, you got a problem with pride. Sorry to tell you that. You got a pride problem. And if you're irritated that I tell you that, that proves that you got a pride problem. <laughs> so I want, I want, on your paper there, I want to ask you, when were you baptized? And when was that like? What was that like? And if you haven't been baptized, then we're going to send Matt out to fill up a tub, and we're going to baptize you after this. No, we might wait till next week. But, but guys, if you haven't been baptized, what are you waiting for? I mean, you're being like the guy that dates the girl for 16 years and won't put a ring on her finger. What is the problem? Let's make this official. That's what happens at baptism. Okay, one more thing that I want you guys to see is Paul's response to Jesus' call. Several days, this is the end of verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. How long did it take him before he started preaching that Jesus is the Son of God? It was like, Jesus is my Savior, let me tell the world. What are you guys waiting for? Verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who used to? I mean, they're like, isn't that, isn't that the same guy? What's going on here? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Verse 22, yet Saul grew more and more powerful, and he baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. He's like, you don't think Jesus is the Christ? Just get your scroll and let me show you. And he proved again and again that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. They're like, Enough of this already. What he did to other people, now we're going to do to him. Kill this guy. But Saul learned of their plan, and day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening of the wall. Verse 26, when he came to Jerusalem, Galatians 1 tells us about what happened 
in Jerusalem. This is actually three years after he, so now he's been a, a believer for three years, and he goes to Jerusalem, and he tried to join the other disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas, remember Barnabas, he's the son of encouragement. He's always trying to encourage people, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had fearlessly preached in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. Do you remember who the Grecian Jews were? That was the group that he had come out of when he killed Stephen. That was the group that killed Stephen. He was a part of that, remember? So he, basically, he's going back home, back to the place, his 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 homeboys, and he's telling them that he's not one of them anymore. When, they, when the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus, back to where he'd grown up. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. What a great way to be encouraged. By the Holy Spirit, it grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. Okay, here's the deal. 25 years later, Paul is telling the story of what happened on the road to Damascus. 25 years later, he's telling about this experience, and he tells the story in greater detail than what Jesus, about how Jesus had commissioned him. And he said, Jesus told me, I'm sending you to the world to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. He, tell, he tells in, in Acts 26 what Jesus had told him. He tells word for word what Jesus had spoken to him. And here's what I want you guys to see, is that Paul was saved by Jesus, not simply so that Paul could go to heaven when he died. Paul was saved by Jesus because Jesus had a plan to use Saul's life to build a kingdom. And you, the reason Jesus has saved you also isn't just so you can go to heaven when you die. Jesus saved you. If you've had an encounter with Jesus, if you've experienced him, if he's turned you from darkness to light, then you also were saved so you could build his kingdom. You have a calling in your life. There's a reason, bigger than what you understand, why Jesus saved you. So here's my question. Do you know what that calling is? Do you know what God is calling you to? So I want to ask you here on your piece of paper, would you describe what Jesus is calling you to be and to do? Has Jesus told you that? And I'll answer that question. He has. He is telling you that. He's telling you that tonight. And you're like, but I don't know what the will of God is. I don't know. You know what? If you've had an, a genuine experience with the Holy Spirit of God, and he's invited you into his kingdom, and you've joined his kingdom, then you can trust how your heart beats. You can trust that he's speaking to you through the desires of your heart. And as you think about what he's calling you to for the next 60 years, most of you have 60 years or so left. I've only got about 25 and a half. You guys can be effective in doing what God's calling you to do if you respond to the call of God like, like Saul did. Okay, here's the point of all this. The power of Jesus is life-changing. Jesus has an incredible power to change lives. I want you to hear another story about a guy like Saul, who was a rotten man. I want you to hear a few stories. We're going to start. I want, I want you to put a, a, the picture up here of this guy. Does anybody know this guy's name? You got Do you know? Okay. Do you know? Okay. His name is Mitsuo. Fujita. Fujita Shun. Oh, okay. Okay. This is this is Mitsuo Fujita. Is is Utah here? Yeah. Utah, do you know who this guy is? You don't know? Okay. <laughs> well, okay. I'll tell you who this guy is. This guy, I think Utah. Okay. This guy is was the the guy who led the air raid on Pearl Harbor. He led it. 2,043 Americans killed that day. Ships destroyed. He was the leader. Okay? Now, there's a video I want you, a two-minute video I want you guys to see. The video is not put together very well, so just try to get past the, the, you don't have the video? 
You guys don't have it? Okay, I sent it to Scatter. Oh, my goodness. I'm disappointed you guys. Okay. <laughs> We're scattered tonight. Okay. Okay. Scattered is in Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I wonder if it's worth me sending that to you. I wonder if there's a way we can avoid the awkwardness of not having that stuff sent. Let me see. Um, Guys, I'm just going to tell you the story. I'm just gonna, you want to see the video? Okay. Put the video Okay, you guys can all just pray. This is your prayer time. Okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to show this video, and I want you guys to see what this, this amazing story. It's actually a story of two people. A guy named Shazer, who was on the Doolittle Raid. Does anybody know what the Doolittle Raid was? Where the, 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 the bombers had enough fuel to get over Japan, but then they were told, once you get past Japan, you're just going to have to bail out because you're not going to be able to get, you don't have enough fuel to get back. It wasn't kamikaze. The kamikazes were the Japanese uh, zero pilots that I'm talking about. American American pilots. So so a guy named the Doolittle raid. Okay, so a guy named DeShazer. Okay, the guy named DeShazer. He's on this Doolittle raid, and he he flies over Japan, and he doesn't. Have, they don't have enough fuel to get back, so he he lands in somewhere in China, and he's taken captive, and he's put in Japanese uh, um, prisoner war camp for years, and after he's there for a while, he gets a Bible this American guy, DeShazer, and he becomes a believer in Jesus. And so during this time, as he's being, as he's waiting for the war to end, he decides, if I ever get out of here, I'm going to come back to Japan and represent Jesus to the Japanese people. Okay, so watch this, watch this story of how, how, how that guy's this life. This is Ruthie Oberg with a devotion from history. On December 7, 1941, American soldier Jacob DeShazer was on KP duty in California. Upon hearing the news of the attack on Pearl Harbor, he shouted, Japs, just wait and see what we'll do to you. One month later, he was on a secret surprise mission raid on Tokyo. But he ran out of fuel and was forced to parachute down into Japanese-held territory where he spent the next 40 months in a cruel Japanese POW camp. But after 25 months, the U.S. prisoners were given a Bible to read and Jacob became convinced of its truth. After the war ended, Jacob felt that God wanted him to return to Japan as a missionary. He wrote a tract about his conversion called, I Was a Prisoner of Japan, and he would stand on street corners and pass it out. But in October of 1948, Jacob was discouraged and pleading with God to send some evidence that he was using his work in Japan. It was during this time of discouragement that Jacob handed a tract to a distinguished looking gentleman getting off a train. That man was Mitsuo Fuchida, and he had been the general commander of the air squadron that led the attack on Pearl Harbor. The former Japanese pilot was impressed by the force of the American's testimony and began to read a Bible he had found, and in prayer asked God to change him from a bitter, disillusioned ex-pilot into a well-balanced Christian with purpose in living. The Japanese pilot and American soldier became great friends, and Mitsuo spent the next 25 years of his life telling crowds all over the world about the Jesus Christ who sought him out and saved him. It's just further evidence that the steps of men in history are ordered by their creator. This is Ruthie Oberg with devotionsfromhistory.org. Is that cool or what? 
Okay, so this is what we're doing now. I want you guys to tell your stories. I want you to tell your stories along this, these lines. You take two minutes, and I want you to share how Jesus had an encounter with you, how you had an encounter with Jesus, and how he transformed your life and what he's done. Okay, so who's first? I'm not going to share the whole story, but um, as far as encounter with Jesus, it was, I've had a lot of different ones, um, but the one that grabbed a hold of everything um, was uh, whenever he just asked for everything, um, and without, without all the details, what, what happened was um, I was in a room, and um, I was just in God's presence, and he said, hey, um, are you done? Are you, are, do you want to be a, do you want to be in partnership with me? And I said, yes, Lord, of course. Like, yeah. He said, I want to look anywhere in, in, at any time. And I want you to be able to respond and say, yes, I'm here, God. And I said, yeah, of course I want that. Um, and he said, okay, well then give me, give me everything. Um, you don't, you don't need to make a, you don't need, you don't need to make a life here on earth. You don't need to, to have a family. You don't need to get married. You don't need to have kids. Um, and I was like, wait a second, put the, hold on, put the, put the brakes on, God. Um, and it was very clear. It wasn't any kind of confusion or, oh, let me pray. I don't know if I'm, it was very clear. Um, and God said, just give me everything. Um, and as soon as I said yes, um, I experienced a lot of, a lot of emotions. <laughs> um, it was just, a, it was a lot. Um, but what God did and the call that he gave to me and asked if I would receive that call as he said, and he, and he filled up in my heart um, and he said, will you, will you go out and will you share the love that I've given you, <laughs> that, I, that I have shown to you undeservingly, will you go and share that with any and, in, any and every person that you come into contact with? And I said, yes, I will. Am I doing that perfectly? No. But every day I say, God, I need your help. I need your strength. I need you to help me. And, and so that's, that's my encounter, um, and, and without all the details, because the details aren't needed, the details are is that, you know, God makes a way, um, and he's going to ask, and it's gonna re there's going to be some sacrifice involved, so it's, it is woo, it's so worth it and so good, and God is so good. Hi, guys. Matt didn't share some details. I'm going to share a few. Um, I grew up in a Christian house, right? So my life should have been everything my parents wanted it to be. They wanted to protect me from stuff. Problem is, is I didn't want to protect me from stuff. I always told my story to people and told them that my parents raised me under a rock. I gleefully broke that rock and then wished I could glue it back together. Um, I about age 15 to 16 is when I kind of came to an end of my ability to pretend anymore. See, the thing was, is I was on my worship team. I was a drummer on my church's worship team. I was a leader of children's church. I was a leader in my speech and debate group. I gave speeches about God. I talked to people about God. I was passionate about God. And then you look behind the scenes, and I was a porn addict. I cut myself. I was twice nearly committed suicide. I was in a dark place in my life. But I thought love meant doing everything for everyone. I was a good kid. I made my dad coffee every single morning. I mowed the yard. I worked on the house. I was great in doing all of these things. And then about 17, um, age 17, I was in a group of, of Christian believers, and we were sitting around, and it was a prayer meeting. And a few different people were speaking words over me. Um, but one I heard clearly wasn't spoken by other people. God spoke so clearly, and he told me, be still and know. And I'm like, what? It's like, be still and know. And over since that time until the time in this last fall when I got to the cornerstone, God showed me that it wasn't about the doing. It wasn't about all of the outward appearances. It wasn't about all of the achieving and making people feel loved and doing all of that. That all of that was great. But being still and knowing that he's God and he's the one doing all of that and not me, that's what changed my life. When Paul talks about being the worst of the worst, you know, I never felt good enough. And I don't struggle with that anymore because I know I'm not. I don't struggle with feeling good enough because God showed me that I am nothing without him. Because I was nothing. I did all and all of my friends thought I was a great person, but I hated myself and he showed me why. 
And so I guess what I want to tell you all tonight is with love, with, with the story of Paul, it speaks to me so much because showing up here, the question of how have you been healed, goodness, day two at Cornerstone for me, my knee was healed. I'm still supposed to be having issues with it, and I don't. Um, meniscus was torn, kneecap pushed out of place. Long story short, that next day I was walking. Um, but more than that, God's healed my heart. He's healed me from so much emotional damage and emotional scars I've gone through. He healed a relationship. Um, guys, I'm getting married because of God. God can do so much, and he has healed so much in me. But the community he brought me to, none of that would have been possible without you guys. Showing up, I remember Victoria opened the door for me. Matt, I don't even know if you remember this. I doubt you do. You spoke into the situation I was going through, word for word, what I needed to hear. That first night I walked in, you gave me a hug and spoke into that. You guys healed me through God. So thank you so much. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Kevin. Um, my first encounter with God, um, I, was a, I was a child, um, and things were pretty bad at my house. My mom was working all the time, and my dad had walked out, um, and I was still pretty ignorant of, like, what was happening. Um, and one day, as I was walking into my kitchen, uh, there was a voice in my head, and it told me, hey, like, your life is going to be really, really hard, um, so you might as well kill yourself, like, and, I, and then I thought, I was like, yeah, my life is actually, like, pretty bad. And, I mean, yeah, I guess that would be the easiest thing to do so I don't have to live a hard life. And so I went up to the, the drawer, and I grabbed a knife. And I didn't really know what I was doing because um, I was a kid. And so I grabbed the knife, and I put it up to my stomach. And then another voice came to me, and he said, um, what about your brother and your sister? And then I was like, hmm? He's like, doing this um, would really hurt your mom. Like, think about what you're doing. He's like, you would really hurt your mom. And who's going to be there for your brother and your sister? And then I thought about it, and I was like, yeah, that's true. And in that moment, um, God filled me with his love for my brother and my sister so that and he put me in charge of watching after them and taking care of them and taking uh, taking care of my mom. Um, and I didn't understand that till, like, you know, because God continually came to me. I didn't accept Jesus till I was about 12 years old. So I didn't even know God back then. Um, but I know what happened, and that's why I'm still here. So thankfully, God is still working in my life. And, um, yeah. Hi guys, how are you doing today? Um, yes, I also grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and you would think that, you know, pastor's kids, they're all perfect and everything. Um, and I did everything, just like he said. I was a good child. I don't ever remember doing anything bad ever in my life. And <laughs> that's the truth, because I was always afraid to make mistakes. To this day, I still kind of I am scared to make mistakes, and that helps me not to do anything because I'm scared to make the mistakes. And so, and then one time um, when I was still in Uganda, I was so angry at God. I was like, why do all things happen to me? Because, like, when my parents finally separated, I was like, okay, now what? Because I was always the one left behind. I was like, you know, left in the house alone, my parents separated, my siblings have all disappeared, everyone is on their own. And I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I'd run to people's houses and I'd spend the night there. And then the next day I'd wake up and I'm like, okay, I'd go to school because my mom found a, found a way to take me to school. And then one day um, I was, you know, angry at all these people that I've lived with, people that have mistreated me, they were so rude to me, everything. Even though I gave him my best to be the best I could be, I was worked so hard to be good for everyone, good for everything. And then um, it wasn't until actually when I came here and I was still angry, I thought I forgave. I thought I moved on and I thought my life was, you know, back together until one time was struggling and I didn't know 
you know what depression is because I've never been depressed. I don't even know what depression is. So, <laughs> and I was just like, I didn't want to see anyone. I wanted to be in my room alone, no one to disturb. And then one time I was actually, I went to Convergence. I was invited to go to the conference and Logan was actually there and several other people. And so I was sitting there all angry at God and I'm just like mad at people even though I thought I forgave them. And all of a sudden, God, this was like the best encounter ever because <laughs> I cried like I don't know how many hours. I was just there like soaking everything in. I was so angry. I didn't know that. But I was so mad at people. I cried for hours and I was just like, after I was done and, you know, I knew that God was telling me, okay, now, You've got your life back together. You, you have to forgive these people. You have to move on because if you don't forgive them, you can't move on with your life. So I was like, you know what, God, I surrender everything. I'm forgiving and I'm moving on. And then um, the moment I said that to myself, I walked home. I was so free. Like my heart was at peace. I had no fear because I, at this point I was so even scared in my room. Like I would see things and I was like, did I just see someone crossing in my room? And I was like, is this an Af African thing or what? And it was like, <laughs> I was so scared. But the moment, oh, I, you know, I surrendered everything. And I was like, you know, God, take control. Like, the fear disappeared. I slept that day. I did not have any nightmares. I was at peace. And I woke up and mom is like, how are you today? I'm like, yeah, I, was, I actually did sleep. Because I would stay in my room all night just staring because I was scared if I sleep, something's going to come. And then, you know, if I take my lights off, he would think that I'm scared. So I was like, <laughs> not, you know, I'm going to keep the lights on or like whatever it takes for me to be, you know, at peace. But since that day, I felt peace and I was able to like, you know, trust people even though, you know, it was never easy for me. I learned to trust other people and just letting, you know, people tell me what to do and, you know. Even though I am a really good listener, I listen to everyone. Like if you come and you talk to me, I will listen and I'll go back and think about those stuff. And I'll choose what I want to keep and what I don't want. But then it's like, and then I still like kind of struggle with that because I, I go home and I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, I start doubting myself and I start, you know, questioning everything. And then, but I remember, you know, every time I'm f scared, God tells me, I got you, I'm here, and I'm never going to leave you, and that's all I live for now. And so, yeah. All right, well, I guess it's my turn. So to kind of give you guys some backstory about who I am and who I am as a person, I'm actually slightly autistic. So a lot of people will actually be like, well, I didn't even notice that. Well, that's through a lot of trial and tribulations, okay? Um, I kind of grew up with Jesus in my life. It's just something in which my family has always been kind of intimate on. It's something in which that we've always been focused on. So I kind of always grew up just knowing who he was and kind of how it is in which he works and how what he does in our lives. However, just because I did that does not mean that I had an easy life. Um, with my disability, as some would call it, I actually call it a blessing, I faced a lot of persecution and ridicule just for being autistic. I would say things to people. I try to communicate to people, and I try to be outgoing to people. But since I was so different and so abnormal and so just completely out of people's comfort zones that it would normally be, hey, how are you doing? And I'd get stiff-armed. Sometimes that would be in a physical sense. In fact, I remember when I was in elementary school, someone threw me into a leaf bush, calling me a retard and walking away. Sometimes that was my own mother. Um, my mom, she was, had a very rough life. She actually became a mom at 15 because her parents didn't really know how to raise her very well. Some people which I respect, and I remind her a lot of her grandfather. Um, I also remind her a lot of my biological father who literally chose crack cocaine over his family when given the choice. So, you know, sometimes she'd call me an idiot. Sometimes she'd call me retarded. Sometimes she would say things to me <laughs> That were, that were against her other kids or other things in her past just because it was easier for her. At least she thought it was. Same thing with my own with my own stepdad who loved me very much and stepped into my life. I, I was just a very difficult, difficult person to talk to. 
I would say things that people just didn't understand. But um, my first encounter with who Jesus was and what he did in my life was he's like, just because everybody else may just not understand you or understand what you is that you're saying to them, I understand you. I know what's on your heart, and I know your thoughts. I know what it is what you want to communicate. Talk to me. And I remember one time in which I was praying to God, I was like, you know, why did my dad choose some, something so vile, so evil, something that's so corrupting over me? Why is it that I was born this way? Why is it that my parents just don't, you know, they don't, <laughs> they don't love me? Why, are they, why is it like this? And he's like, hold up. First off, your dad, your real dad, not just me, but your real dad adopted you to say, if that man comes into your life again, I'm going to stop him because he doesn't know how to raise you. Your mother may say mean things to you, but every time it is that she does that, she comes back and she apologizes to you. You are closer to her than most of the other children because you know exactly what her pains are, exactly what they are that she faced. Um, and the people that stiff-armed you, what are they losing? What is, it that, what is the joy and what is the kind of pride in which it is to know who you are that you're losing? So... And what God kind of showed me through that is that, you know, the lashings in which you take are the same lashings in which they give to me. Because through your life, I'm the one in charge, not you, not anybody else, not what anybody else might say, whatever you might think. I'm the one in charge. And when they have a problem with you, they have a problem with me. Hello. Um, I'm just going to kind of like read it right off of here because I don't know how to talk properly. Um, so before I knew Jesus, I was afraid of everything, of people, of my parents, of um, my peers, of food, um, of everything. I was always afraid. On top of that, I was also really selfish but also a walking contradiction because I would tear my temple apart by temple. I mean, like my body, like I would just tear it apart in different ways, whether I was burning or cutting or starving or whatever. I, yeah, I was also a liar and I was foul mouthed. There was never a time where a cuss word was not coming out of my mouth, which for some of y'all, that's really hard to believe because I just like, I don't seem, I don't seem like I have that kind of personality. Um, how Jesus showed himself to me was I was hitchhiking at age 16 and I got picked up by a white van with a church logo on the side and was taken to New Orleans, Louisiana to go on a mission trip. <laughs> so I, I got there and uh, I remember being talked to about Jesus and God and how he loved me and that I wasn't alone and that there's actually a purpose for my life. And I remember walking back to where we were like staying, where we were sleeping and just like this, I don't even know how to explain it. It was like sudden goosebumps going all the way down my body saying like, hey, you need to stop. And I'm like, I'm not doing anything, I promise. And he's like, no, I, you do know what you're doing, and you need to stop because I love you, and I want you to know that. And that was, that was like the encounter. Hold on. What is the next question on here? Oh, the obedience. It was like, hey, I want you to get to know me is what he was telling. It says, what did he tell you to do? He wanted me to get to know him and to go to church. And I was like, I don't even know what a church looks like, so that's going to be fun. So I find a way to, uh, to tr I tried looking like, okay, is there a church within walking distance? Because I know my parents would never take me. Um, and there wasn't. But I just so happened to make friends like that next week that I came back from New Orleans with this girl in my choir class. And she invited me to go to a sleepover that they had at their church for like all the high schoolers. And I was like, okay, that sounds like fun. Can you give me a ride? Yes, homie, let's go. Um, so that happened. Um, pa, pa, pa. That's skipping number four. Okay. Um, sorry. Healing from past life through the community of Jesus. The Lord decided to move me to Dallas. Yup. He moved me to Dallas to be a part of this great family. 
to be a part of Nick's really great family and know what healthy boundaries look like. Um, man, I'm so glad I know what that is now. Ugh, sorry. Um, so healing from past life through the community of Jesus. I'm going to be honest, I'm still healing. Like, I am still very, very much healing. In fact, just to, like, I developed a lot of disorders. I had an eating disorder. I had a lot of mental disorders, anxiety, depression. Um, I was also an insomniac um, just from different things that happened whenever I was younger. Um, and I am now, I'm on medication, and it has helped me so much to be able to look at things um, through an actual, like, lens where I can, you know, like, whenever you have never had glasses, but you actually need them, and everything's really blurry, and then you put them on, and you're like, whoa, things have shape? Oh, that's cool. That was what it was like. Um, and so I'm now getting healthy. I'm still healing, but I'm getting healthy, and that's what I think is just really cool. Um, I keep losing my track. Oh, baptism. I was baptized in a really gross public pool <laughs> in New Orleans. That I like accepted Jesus on when I was in New Orleans, and they were like, "Well, you want to get baptized? We have this pool. It's not clean, but it's something." And I was like, "Let's do it." Um, I also the really funny thing and kind of gross. So sorry. I had like bleached tips in my hair, and so like we went to the pool. And, like, after my hair dried, like, the tips were green. <laughs> so just a little laughter there. Um, and then response to Jesus' call, I feel like I am called to do homeless ministry. I, whenever I was moved around um, to, before I came to Dallas, I was homeless um, through, like, the last part of my high school years. Um, and then just moving from house to house to house to house to house. And even coming to Dallas, I was still moving from house to house to house. Didn't know why God wanted me in Dallas when it felt the same as Houston, but now I do. Um, but uh, homeless ministry, and then to be a mom, and to be a wife, and to just love on people. So, yeah. Okay, I, I, we're going to end with... <laughs> Nice hat and that. Uh, we're going to end with what, what, something that Annika just said. She said, I'm healing. How did, you say, how did she say it? I'm healing, but I am still healing. I'm, I'm, I'm being healed, but I'm still healing. You guys, that's true for all of us, Annika. I mean, we're, we're learning. We're, we're Jesus is changing us every day. And that's why we do this thing. That's why we get, that's, you know, it, it's not like you, I, we just give you a pill, and now you've got Jesus, and now you're perfect. It's step by step by step using people around us and we learn a little bit from from Douglas and we learn a little bit from Annika and we learn a little bit from Steve and little by little Jesus is changing us into men and women of God and he's not done yet and we're okay with that because we know that that he who began a good work in us is going to be faithful to complete it the question is will the rest of us be faithful too let's just keep being faithful to showing up to where he's willing to meet with us here and tomorrow morning Tomorrow morning, you get up and you spend time with Jesus daily, every day, every day, every day. Because he's healing us. He's healing us through his spirit and through his community. So, guys, let's stand up and we're going to close in prayer. And some of you guys, after hearing all this tonight, some of you are going, I don't know if I've ever, really ever encountered Jesus. Some of you are saying, I'm encountering Jesus right now, here tonight. I know God is speaking to me. And so we've got uh, time of prayer up in the room upstairs. If you need um, extra prayer, if, you, if, you're, if you're like, I don't know what's going on, but I, I know God's speaking to me, then I want to invite you to come upstairs. And we've got a, a team of our student leaders that will be up there ready to pray for you. So let's close in prayer. Father, we're just asking that the things that we've talked about tonight would be uh, made real in every life. And that every one of the people in this room would know you more as you Work in our hearts and change us, even be, even through the things that were spoken about tonight. And all of us, like Annika just said, Lord, we realize that we're being healed, that we're not finished product yet, but that you will be faithful to complete what you started. And so would you just keep on working on us? Lord, would you keep changing me? And would you keep changing my friends here? And we realize that without you, we, we would just be rotten people. 
Thank you, Lord, for your work in us. We commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. And hey,